0: Hello to hand over to my wife Fiona who's going to bring to us our reading. Thank you dear. Uh,
1: we're reading from 1st Peter chapter 3 um, and we're going to read verse 8 to 22. Finally all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary repay evil with blessing because to those who were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your heart revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Amen.
0: Thank you, Fiona, for bringing up reading to us. Arguments. I wonder if you've had... An argument. I'm sure you must have done because most people um, have many times when they have arguments. I once had an argument with Fiona and uh, all about how to rearrange the furniture in our house. And I thought I'd won, but when I got home, the tables were turned. In fact, we went did a cruise many years ago to New York um, on 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 with Cunard on the Queen uh, Queen Mary, and it was a, a great time. It took I think it was. Um, Five days to get to New York and five days to get back again. Um, and it was a, a, a great time. And when we got there, we um, we visited the Empire State Building and we got in the elevator at the bottom. And as we got into the lift itself, we had an argument. And trust me, I've never been wrong on so many levels. Arguments. The world is full of arguments. And Peter's come in here to the end of his, uh, his message um, in Chapter 3 and is beginning to talk to us about um about relationships carrying on in his summing up and he begins um uh, to focus on the whole idea of harmony and uh, he actually says here in verse 8 he says finally and that expression in in the greek means now to the end now to the end and he's summing up exactly what um, he's talking about and has been talking about and throughout chapter three we've been talking about he's been talking about things like living in this world as a different person as an alien as a stranger he's saying that this involves submission a very dirty word in in the 21st century but he says it involves as a christian submission it involves submission to the state in chapter 213 and submission to each other in chapter 217 it's submission to our bosses in chapter 2, 18. And then he talks about submission, mutual submission in marriage in chapter three, verses one to seven. And then he comes to this final part of chapter three and he draws it all together. And he says, finally, all of you. He's saying, doesn't matter who you are, all of you. This is important. What I'm dealing with now is important. And he says that all of us need to learn to make music. To make music. He writes in verse 8, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. The RSV translates this as, Live in unity of spirit. Unity of spirit. This helps us understand what Peter is trying to say by that word harmony. He's talking about unity here. Of people who are united in love and purpose in what they do and in what they believe, this was actually a great desire of Jesus for his church, so much so for the night before he was betrayed, that very night, the eve of his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find him praying all about Christian unity. We read about it in John chapter seventeen and verse 20. Jesus says, "I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message." That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus believes that the unity of believers is so critical, so important to the very message of the gospel. Because the world needs to see a united church. Why is this? Why is unity so critical to the Christian family? It's because the world knows all there is to know about division. We don't need to teach the world anything about wars and disharmony. The world knows all there is about division and argument and disagreement and shouting at each other. It knows the tune of Satan by heart. It's a very easy tune to play. It requires us simply to give in to our default setting, to our base nature and just let rip with whatever's deep, deep and dark inside you. But Jesus came to bring us a different tune to sing, a different drum to march to. He came to bring us gospel. Gospel literally means good news. And that message involves a radical change from the way things are. So God's people are to be different, not like the world. We are to be together, united, living by one spirit. Indeed, the early church seemed to experience that kind of unity. And there's a wonderful passage we can read about in Acts chapter four, where it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of his possessions as his own, but they shared everything they had. It seems the church has lost some of that unity over the past 2000 years. And Paul continually encouraged the church to not only value unity, but to make it our priority in our churches and in our lives. Paul writes in Romans 12, In Christ we who are many form one body. Again in verse 16 he says, Live in harmony with one another. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 he says, I appeal to you brothers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. So what Peter is summing up here in the end of chapter 3 is of vital importance throughout the New Testament, that all believers live in harmony. So why is the church so divided? Why do we hear about divisions, about brother falling out with brother and sister with sister, and churches dividing and separating? Well, the answer is simple, really. Unity is the most common area in which the church is attacked because Satan doesn't want a united church, because he knows with a united church revival will come. More people will come to know the Lord Jesus. More people will be saved. And so Satan always attacks us at our weakness and the Achilles heel of the church is always harmony, is always unity. When Fiona and I were at college in Glasgow, in the, in the Bible Training Institute. We, one of our lecturers um, worked, um, he was a missionary. He and his wife had come back from the Philippines. His name was Dick Dowsett, uh, he was an OM missionary. And um, he served for 40 years with OMF and told the college um, that when he worked in the Philippines, the, um, the churches in the Philippines were totally divided. So what tenant of the Christian faith was so critical that the churches were fighting over this? Was it the virgin birth? Was it the reality of the resurrection? Was it the true humanity of Jesus? Or the divinity of Christ? No. The issue that the Baptist churches were fighting over was a much deeper issue. It involved the death in which you baptised a believer. So there were in the Philippines, the 10-gallon Baptists. There were the 15-gallon Baptists. And of course, the very deep 20-gallon Baptists and there was the 120-litre Baptists who were a, a German persuasion. If the church remains divided, three things occur. First, our attention is taken away from the mission of the gospel and becomes focused on eternal infighting. And secondly, when we fight ourselves, we weaken ourselves, of course we do. We don't fight the enemy, we fight ourselves. We are divided. And thirdly, as long as the church remains divided, then people can wag their finger and rightly say, Look at those Christians. They speak about love, but they can't love each other. They preach about forgiveness, but can't forgive each other. What hypocrites. And do you know what? They're right. As long as the church remains divided, we are hypocrites. We demonstrate not love and forgiveness, but division and separation. So, how can the church be united? Well, Peter gives us a vital clue here in verse 8 and uses the word harmony, which is a very interesting word in the Greek language, because it's made up of two words. The word is homophrones. And homophrones comes from two words. The first word is homo, which means same, and frones, which means mind. It means quite literally same mind, of the same mind. And that's profound because it gets right at the heart at what causes disagreements in the Christian church and where we go wrong in our Christian lives. You see, in unity is in essence about the same mind. It is a common mind. And this rings through out the New Testament. Paul writes about this. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 11, Paul says, listen to my appeal. Be of one mind, live in peace. Philippians 2.2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So what common mind is a Christian to have? What common mind is the church to have? Well, Paul answers that question later on in Philippians 2.5, where he writes this. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's key. Let me read that again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The problem with the church and the problem in our faith is that our minds and our opinions get in the way of God's. We begin to vocalise what we think and we should be emulating what he thinks. We think that because God loves us, he must love the way we think. But he doesn't. The Bible tells us so often: our thinking is warped, it is corrupted, it is off mission, it is off peace. Colossians three, verse two: Paul says, "Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things." Romans eight, five: Those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The key then to unity is for the family of God to have one mind and that mind isn't your mind and isn't my mind. It is the mind of Jesus Christ, to have the thoughts and inspirations of Jesus. And this argument is logical and it's sound, isn't it? If we live by our own thoughts and minds, then we're going to be divided because our own thoughts and minds are as divided as as there are people. Yet we're not to live by what we think, but what Christ thinks. We are to soak our minds in the mind of Christ. We are to soak our minds in the Bible, get into the word and make the word part of you and a part of the way you think. And then you start to have the mind of Christ. This is what when church meetings go wrong is when people simply stand up and vocalise an opinion that they have. Church meetings aren't about our opinion. We're not trying to hear from you or from me. We're trying to hear from Christ. The whole principle of Baptist theology is about having a common mind and that mind is the mind of Jesus. To pray and to receive and to hear him speak. So even like Jesus on the night he was betrayed was saying to God, not my will but yours. We are saying to God, not my will but yours. Because his will is a perfect will and that will lead to a perfect way and that will lead to blessing. And that will lead to people coming to know him and to know the blessing of God in their lives. Peter says we are to be homo thrones of one mind and this will result in one voice harmony 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 of course is a musical term and refers to when people sing or play together and the key to this um, is to uh, to sing that music in such a way that the musicians complement each other with their musical instruments or their voices. If musicians play different melodies at the same time, you don't get harmony. You get discord. You get clashes. To have harmony, we must all play the same tune and play it together. And that, of course, comes when we watch the conductor. When we do what he instructs and he directs and Jesus is our conductor. We play his music, his tune to his timing. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. The music of God's family is to be so different and so beautiful in this world. It will attract others to come to faith and to listen to that melody and to fall under his influence and the influence of the conductor. And so Peter outlines this for us in verse 8 and he says this music is to be first a music of sympathy. He says in verse 8, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, be sympathetic. And that word sympathetic actually is another Greek word uh, which means it comes from two words it means symphony meaning together and pathos emotions share the emotion share the experience share the emotional state it's not just looking upon someone and feeling sorrow it's entering into that sorrow entering into their mindset and their state of emotion Paul writes about this in Hebrews 13 verse 2 remember those in prison he writes as if you were fellow prisoners, and those who were ill, treated as if you too were suffering. Sympathy means to be united, to be so united with other Christians that you share their emotions, forgetting your feelings, and you begin to enter into theirs. Professor Willie Barclay writes, Sympathy and selfishness cannot coexist. We get into the mind and into the shoes of others, like the famous Indian saying, you will never know me until you spend a week in my moccasins. We need to get into the moccasins of others, into their shoes, into their lives as Christians and understand where they are. In an orchestra, the best musicians who are able to get into the composer's minds are those who are able to experience the emotion of the composer. And they play with feeling because they have sympathy. Sympathy for the music, sympathy with the composer, sympathy with the piece. Our tune is to be a tune of sympathy, it's also to be a tune a music of love. Peter writes in verse 8, live in harmony with one another, love as brothers. And this is not a romantic love. We live in a world that It has hundreds and thousands of songs about romance. We have films, rom-coms about romance, and yet we see very little love in the world in which we live because so often we've reduced love to sentimentality. We've reduced love to pure romance. And this is not the love that Jesus is talking about. Peter says love as brothers. In other words, love as a family. Now all families have times when they don't get on. Show me a family that doesn't. But it doesn't mean we stop loving each other. Family love is not a romantic love, but a commitment caused by our intimate relationship with each other, our shared experiences, because we have a common womb and a common blood. We have the same father. And so out of respect and res- for, uh, uh, out of love and respect for each other, we love each other. Peter writes in this very book in 1 Peter 1:22: have sincere love. For your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. It's not a romantic, sentimental, soppy love based upon pure attraction. It's a love that's deep from in here. Love deeply, says Peter. He repeats it again, it's so important. 1 Peter 4 verse 8, he says it again. He says, above all, love each other deeply. Love is very much part of the music of the church. It should be. And it's not just the music of love, it's the music of compassion. Peter writes in verse eight, Loving, live in harmony with one another, be compassionate, be compassionate. The Christian music is to flood the world with compassion. And that's a hard emotion to feel in the modern world. Cranfield, the famous theologian, C.E.B. Cranfield, wrote just after the second world war. He said, we got used to hearing on the radio Of a thousand bomber raid as we ate our breakfast. We have got used to the idea of millions of people becoming refugees and we live in an age where we're bombarded with images of suffering and it's very easy to find our hearts getting hard. If it was true back in the 1940s with the radio how much more true it is for us today with all our media ability to, to get get involved in what's happening around the world. We see it and we hear of it on our TV, on our smartphones, on our tablets. We're constantly bombarded by the suffering of others. It's very easy to become hard-hearted. And the word here um, that, that Paul's using here, the word he is using for compassion literally means in the Greek tender-hearted. It's the exact opposite to hard-hearted. It's being tender, Deep inside. It's also the music, says Peter, of humility. Again, he says in verse 8: finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be humble. Be humble. How many arguments and divisions are caused because you or I are not being humble? It's our ego speaking, our ego arguing with another person. And humble here. Literally means humble-minded. Humble-minded, and the key to humility is having the mind of Christ again. We don't puff up our egos by illusions of grandeur or personal achievement. We sing, see things as they really are. In verse eighteen, Peter reminds us here. He says, uh, "He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous." to bring you to God. He's reminding us that we are the unrighteous. We are the unright people. We, aren't, we can't puff ourselves up. We can't stand on our own merits and say, look at me, I'm a great person, because we're not. The person who needs saving is the person who can't help save themselves. And we can't save ourselves. Our goodness isn't good enough. Our, we're not able to be perfect. We're too flawed, too corrupted. That's what causes our arguments. So when we get a bit of success in our lives, our egos get inflated and we find we argue with other people. We call division and more pain. We are the, the crooked. We are the corrupted. We have nothing to boast about. We need to be humble. And all of these virtues that are, of the harmony that, that Peter's talking about here are virtues that require us looking at others and not at ourselves. To be loving, compassionate, to be humble, we need to look beyond ourselves. And so too, the good orchestra. We heard early on about the good orchestra. We need to look beyond ourselves. We need to focus on the conductor. Because the conductor leads us in our music. And if the music breaks down because we're all too focused on our own score, on our own melody, we don't get harmony, we get a cacophony. The only way to get harmony is for all eyes to be on. The conductor to be a good musician we need to look beyond ourselves and to be a united church we need to look beyond ourselves beyond our own needs to the needs of others and this way this music this harmony will be a harmony of blessing Peter writes in verse 9 do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult but with blessing this music is very much out of tune with the world Peter is saying we're to be people who sing a different tune, a different melody that will radically transform the world because it's different to the music of the world. The world says, give as good as you get. Dog eat dog. The strongest survives. The survival of the fittest, if you like. And the Christian church message isn't that. The Christian message is learn to love each other, to have sympathy, to have compassion to be humble, to be a blessing. It's not about receiving, it's about giving as Christ gave his life for you and for me, for the church, for the world. While I was in the Royal Air Force during the early eighties, I did a short tour in Berlin, about 10 years before the war came down. And Berlin is a beautiful city, but it was a city that was very badly scarred by division Principally seen, in fact, in that famous war, the Berlin War. And when the Berlin War was first set up in 1961, there was a, um, a German government issued a decree that taught literally a, a tit-for-tat mentality. And when it was first erected, some of the Russian soldiers on the eastern Aside, took to lobbing thunder flashes over the wall at us on the other side. As the government the western sector issued an edict saying that for every one the East threw over the wall, we were to throw two back. And over the eastern wall, you you can see on this particular slide I've shown you here, there's a watchtower. And the East German, the West German government built um, opposite all the all the um, towers, built steps that the West German. Berliners could go up and stand opposite the East German Towers. We used to call them goon towers because they were, they were manned by the Easty Beasts. That was the kind of nickname for the German East East German border guards. And there was no real purpose for these towers. As there was a tower on the, on the East, there was a tower on the West. The tower on the East was armed. It had bulletproof glass. It had a searchlight at the top. And it was in order to prevent people from the East... Leaving even get into the West, although the Eastern government thought it was to protect the Westerners coming, for some bizarre reason, into the East. But the only purpose these towers served was so that people could stand on them and make rude gestures at the the guards from the East. It was a tit-for-tat mentality, a mentality of retaliation. And yet the music of Jesus is totally different to this world's music. Jesus says... In verse Matthew 5, but I tell you, love each other and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in Luke 6, 28, Jesus says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who ill-treat you. We don't pray pay back in kind. That's a theme of the world. Paul says the same in Romans 12, 17. Do not repay any evil for evil. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good to each other and to everyone else. We are to sing a different tune to the tune of this world. And Peter, in summing up this chapter, the end of chapter 3, is saying, People, church, be harmonious. Sing that beautiful song. Of Jesus that beautiful song of love that beautiful song of giving demonstrate demonstrate the gospel in the lives in which you live the music of the church is not a song of spite or a song of revenge or a song of get one over on the other or a song of winning it's a song of blessing a song of God a song of sacrifice Peter says, sing that song together, sing it beautifully, sing it with respect. He says, sing it with gentleness in verse 15. He says, do this with gentleness as you share the gospel with others. And we're commanded to to sing this song publicly, to share the gospel. Do it with gentleness. Don't do it in harsh words, the words of someone who's right, right? holier than thou if you like. He says do this in verse 15 with gentleness and the best music isn't shouted it isn't blared out but it captures our attention with this gentle melody with its subtle notes. I remember when I um, graduated from London Bible College and I was uh, on my way to my new church and I was working as a student uh, for uh, manpower services drive, driving lorries and one day I was working in a warehouse driving about um forklift trucks and and we were unloading the back of a, um, a lorry and it was a really hot day in July and the, the back of the lorry was it was so humid, sweat was pouring from us as we were, I was driving the um, uh, the forklift truck and tobacco and lifting pallets to get them off the back of its lorry and in all that noise I heard something in the background, some music that was being played on the radio, it was Radio 1, it was always Radio 1 in, in the warehouse and it was, it was wonderful, it was beautiful but I I stopped the um, the 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 forklift truck and I turned the engine off, and I and I really tried to strain to hear this this music, and it was it was a new song that come into the charts, and it was by a great black artist called Tracy Chapman, um, called Fast Car, and it was her number one hit, and that gentle music, was even heard above the cacophony, of this warehouse. I just had to go out, and I went out and went and, and bought. um, it was a a, um, a cassette in those days, bought that cassette to play at home. It was wonderful music and the beautiful melody could be heard even among the cacophony of this busy warehouse in summer. Say it with gentleness. Say it with gentleness. And Pete also says, say it with respect. He says in verse 15, do this with gentleness and respect. When we're sharing this music, sharing this gospel, don't put down the people you're talking to. Be gentle and show people respect because everyone is a child of God. They're all made in God's image, even if they don't recognise him and honour him. They need to hear this tune. And it's only going to be done properly if you do it with respect. The world-famous violinist Yehudi Menuhin, once tried with some friends to get into a room in an upmarket hotel in New York. And the manager looked the party up and down and told Yehudi that there were no rooms available. So Yehudi turned around and began to walk out the lobby of the hotel. When one of his friends turned to the manager and told him just who the person he'd refused entry to was. And with that, when the manager heard that this was Yehudi Menuhin the famous the world famous violinist he rushed after the musician and began to fall all over him saying oh I'm so sorry Mr Menuhin I'm so sorry I didn't realize that you were somebody to which Yehudi Menuhin replied sir everybody is somebody and everybody is somebody and when we share the gospel and share our Christian faith, we need to share that faith with gentleness and respect. Because everybody's somebody. We need to get this music out there. The glorious music of the gospel. The glorious music of Jesus Christ. Don't be scared. And Peter says this in this passage. He tells us not to fear and not to be frightened. He says to get that music out there why why shouldn't we be frightened well because as Paul tells us in Romans 8 verse 31 if God is for us who can be against us people let me encourage you in your place of work in your homes in your street in your community to sing the wonderful song of Jesus Christ to watch that conductor and let him conduct your life and conduct our church and all the churches we belong to and sing that beautiful song of sympathy, to sing that wonderful song of compassion, of humility that blesses both us and its hearers. Let's sing that song with gentleness. Let's sing that song with respect because everybody's somebody. And let's pray that others may learn to see our conductor to hear that music, to start to march towards that beat and to join us in unity and in harmony to the glory of God. Listen to him. Put that melody in your life and live by it. In Jesus' name.